1: This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to
2: Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you from the New York City, Queens, the borough of Queens, actually. So this is the 25th day of August 2020, and um, I do like to remind you, I'm the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, you can go there uh, by uh, You can sign up there for that letter by going to miningstocks.com. Uh, before I go further on, I want to also tell you about uh, investing 101 in gold and silver and the miners. Uh, I have now uh, finished the first four of a five-lesson course. The first two lessons deal with both domestic economic policies as well as geopolitical issues and how they both are paving the way for what I believe is the bull market of a lifetime. In gold, and uh, also, I believe, a demise in the dollar as the world's reserve currency, or at least as a dominant place it has held for a long time, certainly, uh, in decline. Um, Alistair McLeod and others on this show vary on that. Uh, Alistair is a very strong bear on the dollar. Others have other views. But in any event, uh, that trend, I think, is quite clear. Uh, And I talk about those issues in the first two lessons of the five-lesson course, Both of them very bullish for gold. The third lesson introduces a number of ways to own, buy, and store gold and silver. And I also discuss various derivative products like ETFs for owning the bullion as well as the uh, silver and gold mining shares. And the fourth lesson, I have focused on what you need to do or what you need to consider when investing in junior and junior gold and silver exploration companies and how you can improve your odds for success in those high-risk, high-reward markets. That is, in fact, what I spend most of my time on, uh, and that's the lesson I felt most comfortable talking about, actually. Um, and uh, it is certainly the time, I believe, in this bull market of a lifetime to to be involved in those markets if you have uh, the intestinal fortitude to stomach the risk. Uh, and then the last lesson, the fifth lesson, uh, I will be talking to Dr. Quinton Henning, who is I believe, one of the most, if not the most sought-after exploration geologists in the world when it comes to, at least when it comes to the precious metals. And I'll be asking him to talk about what he looks for in an exploration project before he gets involved in either running a company or being involved as a uh, a technical advisor, which he is a technical advisor to many companies. Uh, And also for Lesson 5, I expect to interview Chen Lin, uh, who has been sensationally successful as an investor, uh, with a concentration in the biotech and mining sectors as well as the energy sectors? Chen looks both at long-term prospects as well as shorter-term uh, entry and exit points in a, in stocks, and he's done extremely well. So we want to ask him what his secrets are and what some of the things are, how his mind works in terms of investing, and uh, just for some tips that might be helpful to our to the people that take the course. Uh, the gold and silver markets have cooled off now a bit since the last few sessions, uh, which I actually like because it gives me a bit more time to complete my Investment 101 course uh, before the precious metals make their next significant move higher. But make no mistake, we are in a bull market, a gold bull market of a lifetime, not because gold is suddenly becoming more valuable, but simply because fiat currencies around the world are in a last gasp effort to save themselves and their economies. Uh, which have been corrupted by what amounts to elite members of society engaging in massive counterfeiting operations, debt creation, money created out of debt, The debt is growing much, much faster than incomes, and it is bankrupting nations, individuals and nations around the world. So the, um, the, the policymakers are, are in a last gasp effort, in my view, Talking about extreme measures to try to keep the systems from imploding into a deflationary depression, they're printing money like mad. Modern modern monetary theory is now being discussed. And I understand uh, the uh, uh, Chairman Powell is going to make some uh, some comments uh, about inflation and perhaps encouraging a bit of inflation, the opposite of what Paul Volcker did in nineteen back in nineteen eighty. Uh, so this should be very interesting. But I think uh, we are without a doubt in the bull market of a lifetime. I do want to encourage all of you to send your questions and comments along to questions for at gmail.com. And we do need to thank our sponsors for making the show economically viable. Our sponsors for today's show, Benchmark Metals, NV Gold, Hannon Metals, Irving Resources, Novo Resources, Sitka Gold Corp, and Lion One Metals. Well, the topic today's show is the fourth turning, Ghost Towns, Murder, and Insanity Abound. I just mentioned that Dr. Quentin Henning and Chen Lin, uh, in connection with my uh, econo- with my course that I'm that I'm providing, but I'm happy to tell you that both of these gentlemen are with me today, uh, and then John Robino will be with me in the second half of today's show, uh, and we're going to be talking about the issues of this show and the direction that the country is taking, not only economically but in various other ways, socially. Uh, as well, and we're seeing a lot of the things that yours truly has held dear in his life uh, suddenly come under attack. The idea of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, which is why we had a 1776 revolution, uh, and uh, now those ideals seem to be coming under attack to a very great extent. So we have uh, now a situation uh, where groups like Black Lives Matter and Antifa are violently uh, engaging in burning cities, and uh, creating all kinds of mayhem, and we have a Democrat Party that seems not to be too concerned about it. Nancy Pelosi claims to be a defender of the Constitution, but she can't bring herself to say one negative word about the looting and the burning that's going on in, by the Black Lives Matter and the Antifa folks. So we have iconic stores along New York City's Fifth Avenue lying in waste, boarded up, super wealthy are leaving the city en masse. What will remain of America's cities? More importantly... What will remain of liberty and justice for all? These are questions we're going to talk to John Rubino about in the second half of today's show. And then after our first commercial break, Quentin Henning is going to be with me to talk about the progress being made by Irving Resources. That's one, another company that he's very much involved with on the board of directors and also as a technical advisor. He'll be with me right after the first break, first commercial break. But right now I'm happy to tell you that Chen Lin, my friend, is with me to share his current thoughts on a couple of the key markets. Uh, and if you are really a serious investor, a serious investor uh, who is actively involved in managing your own money, I think you definitely should consider subscribing to Chen Lin's service. And you can do that by going to ChenPix.com. ChenPix.com. Thanks for joining me, Chen.
3: Thank you, Jay. Always a pleasure.
2: Always good to have you with me. And I want to ask you, um, you know, just the most obvious question Everybody on everybody's mind that listens to this show anyway probably uh, is gold. It's backed off from its high above 2000. Uh, I saw it down around 1916 this morning. What are your thoughts on the price and, and you, what, are your, what are your thoughts in terms of its near term prospects?
3: Yeah, uh, it's a very good question. Going in the consolidation period, I usually in the bull market, it can last for a few days to maybe a couple of months okay mm-hmm. so uh, it really depends on uh, all these um, different uh, are we going to get a stimulus or not and you know jackson hole speech you're talking about later this week that could mark the turning point of gold so mm-hmm. what i'm watching right really is uh, who are the buyer of the gold if buyers can suddenly show up so that mm-hmm. can determine the short-term uh, gold movement so i'm watching very closely is uh uh, the discount between Shanghai and New York, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, Shanghai has have a huge discount uh, in gold price versus New York gold price. Uh, he, historically, always uh, at premium. Uh, the reason was uh, Chinese uh, consumer like gold. China is the largest, uh, one of the China India one of the top largest gold consumer in the world. So gold mm-hmm. always go from New York or go from Switzerland, go from London to China. So that's why China has a little bit premium. This year is completely opposite, and uh, China the discount is almost hundred dollar. Uh, that's enormous, right? So if wow, you look that's at York, incredible. We, we, yeah, we were we had twenty one hundred, China only had two thousand one, only one. Ah. So there are people. So so that's the thing. Uh, we were just look. I'm looking at it with a lot of curiosity. I think there's a couple of different reasons. One of the reason is uh, people. Uh, there's some poor people, you know, in China, they need to sell gold to feed their family, right? Uh, mm-hmm. There's very little stimulus uh, by Ch- provided by Chinese government, so people need to feed themselves. It's very simple. Uh, same thing for India. Uh, people need, in the pandemic, people need, you know, people sell gold, right? I mean, the people in Thailand, people Waiting in line to sell gold. That the premier of Thailand had to tell their people: they don't wait, don't, don't no rush. You know, we will have enough money printing for you, <laughs> for your gold. Don't, <laughs> please <laughs> don't rush to sell your gold. So uh, the, throughout Asia, people are selling gold. So that's why Shanghai has such a big discount to to New York. So most buying are from New York. So one one, I'm going to see if this trend going to change. One day, if the discount of Shanghai versus New York got change, you know, shift dramatically. Uh-huh. it could happen just overnight that would be extremely bullish of gold right uh, so that's one the possibility could be Chinese government buying gold but we, I'm just looking at it I think it should be could be any day you know any any week any any time now so if that happened, that will be the signal for us to you know for for a next next like you know and you know this is we're mm-hmm. in the bull market we're probably' and, you know, we're not looking at two thousand dollar gold we're looking at three four five thousand you know. Yeah. Maybe yeah, much, much just, more depending on the inflation. So, mm-hmm. uh, so that's yeah. that's that's what I'm looking at. So, but we're yeah. in the midst of the bull market, and uh, this is a good area actually for you to buy some.
2: Uh, I think so. Yeah, I definitely think so. And as I, yeah, and as I said, I'm happy that we have a little bit of a cooling off here before I start my, my course. Uh, Chen, with just a couple of minutes left, with regard, you mentioned the pandemic in India, how it's affecting their gold buying. What and as an observer, someone who watches the biotechs very carefully. Are you seeing any sort of um, uh, any sort of a vaccine or anything coming forth that gives you hope that COVID could be dealt with fairly quickly?
3: It, it, well, it's possible, okay? There are just a report. Uh, I got a lot of questions, phone calls from my friend, that Hong Kong just had a double yeah, a du- double uh, infection, and right? the person who was infected in March and got it reinfected again. Oh, but the okay. good news was it's asympt- asymptomatic, so which means, so his previous infection actually help him the second infection he has no symptoms whatsoever so actually he probably he still has some antibody even after 4 months so that's a good sign so probably if we got the vaccine working probably will last at least 3 to 6 months so that, that that's the thing i'm i'm looking at so you know and also i'm investing in a biotech that uh, can produce long lasting uh, you know antibody long lasting so they, they they did some other, but because they were doing vaccine on animals, they can last for three years. So they continue uh-huh. generating on that body. So that's uh, INV, that's one of the stuff. I mean, so those, those are things I'm looking at. And, uh, it, it, you know, if they work, it will be a huge home run, but it may, may not work, right? So, but, yeah, so you, but, right. but you must say you take the risk. So mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, is the symbol INV, Chen, did I hear you say?
3: Yeah, Idea, um, Mary, and uh, Victor, right? I mean, it's a Canadian, little Canadian firm. They haven't started 12 years. They can start at 12 any time, right? So uh, it's my latest pick. The the thing interesting is they're they're very safe. They start with the older patient, right? Older Mm -hmm. volunteer versus other. And then their their vaccine can last very, very long. That's actually Mm -hmm. a very uh, uniqueness of that.
2: Yeah, well, folks, you might want to, again, if you're interested and you're really active in investing and you might think uh, biotechs are something you'd be interested in, you really should check out Chen. He does an excellent job. I don't know of anybody that uh, that follows the early biotech stories better than Chen. He also does an excellent job in the uh, in the energy sector and the mining sector as well. Uh, so chenpix.com is a place to go uh, to avail yourself to Chen's. Well, he works extremely hard, he has connections everywhere in the biotech sector, he knows people in China, uh, very wealthy, uh, a, a, very, uh, a great source of wealth, I think, a wealth of ideas that come from Chen Lin. Uh, Chen, thank you so much for spending a few minutes thank with you, us Jake. today, and we'll look yeah. to talk to you again sometime soon. All right, folks, well, uh, we do have to go to break, but don't go away. Uh, we're going to have Quentin Henning back with us to talk about Irving Resources, some really exciting things going on there. You're not going to want to miss what Quentin has to say. We'll be right back.
4: Its flagship assets are located in the Pilbara region of Western Australia. Novo has recently partnered with Sumitomo Corporation of Japan to evaluate, advance, and develop the company's Australian gold projects. With over $40 million in cash and $60 million committed from Sumitomo, Novo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia.
2: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Really pleased to have Dr. Quentin Henning with us once again. He's been a regular guest uh, talking about various companies that he is either directly involved with or a few of them he's also uh, involved with as a technical advisor. Today, he's here to talk about Irving Resources, which is a very exciting story with projects uh, in, uh, in Japan uh, Irving trades uh, Toronto under the symbol IRV. In the U.S., you can buy it, as I have, under the symbol IRVRF. Uh, 56.4 million shares is uh, what I come up with at a dollar at two seventy-two. gives it a market cap in the U.S. money, around $180 million. So thanks for joining me again, Quentin. Thank you, Jim. You know, it's uh, always a pleasure to talk to you because you absolutely love what you're doing. You're very excited about the things you get involved with. And uh, from what I can see, for the most time, especially in a bull market, you're very successful. So it's fun to talk to successful people. And speaking of success, uh, I want to ask you about an August 13 uh, intercept, uh, drill result that you came, that you announced, and you, and you say is of some, some significance that you'd like to talk about today. That was one that graded uh, 3.55 grams over 14.24 meters, which is it's nice. It's not the most spectacular. It's a darn good. Intercept for sure, but that was at uh, Omu mine site. Uh, talk to us about that and why, what significance that intercept has uh, for the project. Sure, thing. Look, uh, it uh, it was our first, well, actually our second hole at o-
0: o- the non-co target, which is part of the Omu mine li- license that you mentioned. So, uh, to put it in perspective, the whole Omu project is about 180 square kilometers. The Omu mine license, which kind of forms a core around one of the key targets there uh, is approximately three square kilometer in size and we've got two very robust targets uh, on that when we mine license we've got the the um, the home p vein which we drilled extensively uh, late last year you know as a first pass and mm-hmm. then we have we have the uh, uh, nonco target which is about uh, five or six hundred meters to the southeast Mm-hmm. So so collectively, these have a pretty good uh, footprint. I mean, you know, basically it's a vein system. Uh, and I think at this point we can confidently say it's connected, like the two, two what appear to be, uh, you know, separate uh, target areas are now connected, physically oh. connected, yeah. uh, which is very encouraging, all right? Uh, but we also see an extensive system of veins. You know, the, the drill intercept, the, the highlight, I would say, of, of the whole uh uh, release of uh, what was it? August. Uh, gotta look at the date. Sorry, August thirteenth. Yeah, saw. August thirteenth uh, was uh, was a fourteen and a half meter intercept uh, grading about three point three gram gold equivalent. Uh, it is, you know, like you said, it's not uh, it's not a huge grade. But uh, oh, sorry, sorry, no, that is not the highlight. Uh, <laughs> you caught me off of guard. Uh, we had the second hole there, number three. Yeah. which is the second hole at Nonco, hit 14.24 gram per ton. Or, sorry, 14.24 meters. Meters. 0.47 gram per ton gold equivalent. Okay, uh, what I would emphasize about that intercept is the width is uh, much bigger than we've seen. The width of the intercept is much bigger than we've seen uh, to date in, in Vane. So I think we're on this, you know, a major structure. Uh, it's uh, certainly, you know, shallow. It's within, say, a couple hundred meters, about 180 meters of the surface. In fact, it appears to project all the way up to surface, so that's very encouraging. It also is wide open at depth. And one of the more interesting things that we, we saw in this hole was uh, a quite a high-grade intercept, somewhat uh, you know, down, down hole from this. Uh, so at about 300, uh, 341 meters, so call it another uh, 120 meters down hole from that intercept, we saw uh, what was a very high-grade, you now, kind of bonanza-grade, we'll call it an intercept, uh-huh. of 1.72 meters uh, that was grading about one out, you know, just under one ounce per ton. Uh, okay, so what does that mean? Uh-huh. Well, I think the lower intercept is actually a splay structure, basically a uh, you know a, a smaller structure that's broken off, or jutting off of the, the main structure, and uh-huh. it opens up the possibility that that big vein that we intersected higher up you know, could increase in grade down below. So, I, you know, what does it mean? It means we're early stage and we found a very, very big vein uh, with evidence of high grade, you know, down at the more, we'll call it critical level uh, where there's boiling. Uh, the other hole that we drilled here, hole number two, so hole three was uh, the highlight hole, but hole number two, uh, which is about, I think, 200 meters east of hole three, uh-huh. it also had multiple veins. We had, uh, like I said earlier, 14 and a half meters of 3.3 gram gold equivalent. We also had a smaller but, you know, significant intercept, about 2 two meters of uh, 13.8 gram gold equivalent. Okay, these are all very very respectable uh, intercepts in sure. an epithermal vein system, especially early days. You know, to put it in perspective, uh, I would say in most epithermal systems, you might see a hit rate of, um, you know, maybe, uh, you know, one hole out of three or one hole out of two on a really good, you know. System, in this case, we're we're hitting veins, virtually every single hole. Okay, so these two holes have veins, uh, as did all of the previous ten holes that we drilled up here. Had significant intercepts. I mean, that's a you know it's basically a, a huge success rate. It means there's a, a pretty extensive vein system down there. So we're we're very excited about it. We see uh, multiple orientations of veins. We're just coming to grips with you know which way these veins are trending and stuff, and that's not uncommon in an early stage like this. But uh, you know the key is. We have t- two uh, areas that now appear to be connected. Uh, we see extensive veining uh, between those two areas. Based on the footprint of drilling we have right now, we know that there's veining, you know, for well over a kilometer, say, along strike from southeast to northwest. Uh, multiple veins, multiple vein orientations. You know, these are the the indications of a big, big system.
2: Mm-hmm. And we should also mention also that. Uh, the uh, the host rock is of some value too. I believe the silica. Or the I think that's uh, the vein. The veins that host this material can can also be used. Uh, and sure is valuable right. as well, which is a very important economic uh, right. aspect but of this. Yeah. Our Our model is to find material
0: that can be you know effectively used as smelter flux. All right, mm-hmm. so the silicified wall rocks uh, are not a deterrent in our case. You know, like we're not so worried about. Um, you know, the vein widths or whatever, we're, we're worried about the silica content, you know, and then the precious metal is recovered through the smelting process. Uh, so that's a little bit different business model, but uh, that's our our story, and I think we're well on to uh, a system that,
2: that's going to fit that criteria. All right. Well, another thing you wanted to talk about was a, a, an announcement of an option. You signed a term sheet to acquire a Jamagano mining license, and and that, uh, according to our friend Bob Moriarty is a a really big deal, but can you talk to us about that and where does that stand right now? Sure thing. So, uh, Yamagano
0: is is down at Kyushu. It's on the kind of polar opposite end of the country, it's on the southernmost big island. Uh, Kyushu is where Hishikari is located. So, Hishikari is about, I think, around 10 kilometers northeast of us at Yamagano. Uh, Yamagano is is a historic district, Uh, very famous. It was mine clear back beginning in the Edo period, so, say, about 420 years ago. Uh, it's produced quite a bit of gold, you know, official records range between about one and two million ounces, uh, but high grade, you know, very high grade. And, and quite frankly, the system is, uh, is wide open. Uh, we we have some of the historic data. We can see that the veins are open at depth, but they're also open to the east, and that's where it gets very intriguing. We've staked the ground immediately east of Yamagano, and we think that, uh, you know, based on the geology, the gravity, you know, data that we have, we think we're in a setting very similar to the Hishikari deposit. Put it in perspective, Hishikari has been one of the highest-grade gold producers on Earth for the past, say, 20-odd years. Uh, it's a fantastic epithermal vein mine. Again, it's used a smelter flux. Uh, that's the kind of picture we see developing in Yamagano. We were very focused and deliberate about acquiring this property. Uh, we are working on definitive documents right now with the Shimatsu family. Uh, Shimatsu is kind of like dealing with uh, the Rockefellers of Japan, mm-hmm. They're a very famous, very wealthy family. But uh, they've uh, they've agreed to this deal, uh, and we are going to bolt Yamagano together and have another very high-quality project. Uh,
2: I mean, just quickly ask you what, uh, if it was mined uh, 420 years ago, it hasn't been mined recently. Is there a reason for that? Uh, yeah, look,
0: uh, it was mined, I think, on a lease arrangement by Mitsui sometime in the past, uh, it'll be probably in the, I think up to the 70s or thereabouts. Uh-huh. And okay. it, it was used for smelter flux. Uh, gold mining, is, as most people know, know kind of went out of uh, vote. we <laughs> there for quite, quite some time. You know, the, As the labor cost rose and stuff, mm-hmm. gold mining wasn't uh, viewed as favorably. You know, th- th- things have changed dramatically now. And you know, Now it's, it's uh, again, once
2: again, it's uh, very economic to, to mine in Japan. Absolutely. We're in a bull market of a lifetime for gold and silver, I'm telling people. I really, <laughs> truly believe that. So, <laughs> so right. Uh, oh, all right, let me ask you this then. There's one other issue that I wanted to really ask you about. Uh, on June 26th, you announced that, uh, that Sumitomo was getting involved. And, you know, Sumitomo put in, invested $2.5 million, which is, it's really like child's play for Sumitomo, a company of that size, but it has some significance, I believe. Um, can you talk about that?
0: Well, it, this is actually very important. Okay, so uh, if you look at, think of Japan, they're very, uh, you know, they're they're very uh, nationalistic country. Like the people, you know, all work together. They're all so when you see a, a major Japanese corporation uh, step into a story like this, especially a little junior company. And then coming alongside Newmont, who of course is our shareholder as well, uh, it, it speaks volumes. It says that uh, this is, you know, this project, this company, Irving, is a highly respected entity in Japan at this point. Uh, that we, you know, that, that Sumitomo is there to uh, make sure that the project and the company, uh, you know, is, is wildly successful. The whole notion here is that Newmont and Sumitomo, at some point, will you know we'll exploit these deposits that we're mm-hmm. we're exploring so you know this is a a wonderful story. I mean we got the major mining company now, a major finance corporation in Japan backing this story uh they're're they're very uh, you know they're very focused on making sure that the, that everything's successful they're also helping with us on the technical side and quite frankly they're helping with us uh, with the logistical side you know J- japan is has not seen expiration for quite some time so you know, a lot of the bugaboos that have to be worked out, you know, mm-hmm. Sumitomo Corporation has been able to help us. In fact, they they introduced us to the Shimatsu family. Okay, so that's, ah, how,
2: yeah. that's how important that
0: relation is.
2: Yeah, well, we, we can't uh, forget Akiko Levinson, too, who's your the president of the company. And her, just a wonderful Absolutely. lady, and she is has those connections in Japan. Uh, right. I, I know you've worked with her for a number of years, and obviously the two of you make a great team. Just just, uh, then, Quentin, what can we look for in terms of um, in terms of news flow? Will there be some more drill results anytime soon? Yes, uh, we have. uh, Let's
0: see, holes four and five, uh, I believe, at the labs. We we saw veins and you know, ginkuro and stuff in those. We'll have some good news around that. Uh, We're we're currently drilling, so we've got. uh, Let's see, hole six and now seven is underway. We'll continue drilling at Omui Mine Site until probably mid October thereabouts, and then we're going to shift down to back to Omu Center. Uh, we're going to retest uh, certain areas, uh, especially under uh, Hole Two from the earlier this year, uh, where we think that there's a you know a plumbing system. Uh, yeah. So we got a lot of drill data or drill you know news flow coming. Uh, we also. Uh, have found out that we've got acceptance of our, our other tenements. Uh, like the, you have to go through a granting process. Mm-hmm. We've got acceptance of our other tenements at Omwu, which mm-hmm. means we can now start applying for drill permitting at Hokuria, for example. Oh, and that'll be, uh, you know, certainly be in the news stream uh, in early uh, or early to mid twenty twenty one. So,
4: you know, okay. we're building
0: up a series of targets. We're building up, uh, you know,
2: this story very,
0: very deliberately and very uh, successfully.
2: Yeah, for sure. And again, only 56.4 million shares outstanding. You're pretty well funded, I believe. You certainly have the deep pockets behind you. Technical, uh, technical um, uh, resources as well from, from the likes of Newmont and Sumitomo. It's a wonderful story, Quentin. Thank you so much again for being with us, and uh, we'll want to keep up with this one. That's for sure going forward. So thank you very much. Thank you, Jake. All right, folks. Well, we do have to go to break now, but John Robino will be back uh, to talk about some of the issues of the day. The market issues, the sociological concerns that many of us have, and so don't go away. We'll be right back with John Rubino.
1: Voice America is available on your Google connected device.
0: Okay, Google, play
4: "Turning Hard Times into Good Times" podcast on iHeartRadio.
1: Oh. Try it today.
4: Gold Core trading under NVX on the TSX and NVGLF on the OTC, is a gold exploration company focused on uncovering the next multi-million ounce gold deposit in North America. With an aggressive exploration season ahead in 2020, a tight share structure, strong management ownership, key strategic investors including Eric Sprott, A globally recognized technical team, technical coverage from industry gold experts, and cash in its treasury. Visit NVGoldCore.com to learn more on this exciting story. Benchmark Metals is a gold-silver exploration company
1: that is embarking on its largest program to date on the Lawyer's Project with up to 50,000 meters of resource expansion and definition drilling planned in 2020. The multi-million ounce potential project is expected to have a new mineral resource estimate and PEA study completed in 2021. The company is backed by the Metals Group Management Team and believes this aggressive program will be complemented by one of the strongest commodity bull markets in decades. Visit BenchmarkMetals.com and subscribe to follow their success.
4: Voice America Business Network.
0: The bottom line in business.
2: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm really pleased to have with me once again John Rubino. Uh, John, of course, uh, well, he's been here so often, I don't know if it's necessary to tell you, but he does run the website dollarcollapse.com. It's an excellent website, a lot of great information, some of which John, uh, some of those articles are written by John, but other authors as well. And one of the things I like most about what John does is he provides uh, once a week uh, his top 10, uh, his top ten videos of the week, and uh, I think the other week he had 12 of them in there, and he still called them the top 10. John finds a lot of great information, a lot of uh, very interesting uh, people. So, for example, right now he has, uh, this is the, one that, the most recent one, some of the people that he had. Max Kaiser uh, was interviewing Alistair McLeod. Uh, he's got Jim Rogers, Rick Rule, Jim Rickards, Gerald Salente, and, and many others. Very noteworthy and very interesting discussions, I think very informative and valuable in in terms of uh, the opinions that his that these people have. So uh, I just want to uh, it's dollarcollapse.com. You should all ma- avail yourself to that to that service. Thank you for joining me again, John. Hey, Jay,
5: good to be back, and congratulations on all your little stock picks going through the roof uh, in the last few
2: months. You so, know, has,
5: has Teresa figured out what to spend all your new money on?
2: Uh, <laughs> you know, she's not the big spender. I'm I'm more the <laughs> spender. So she's she's very conservative. Thank God for that because. Uh, Otherwise, uh, our balance sheet wouldn't look as healthy as it does now. And, um, no, I have to tell you, John, you and I were talking before we, uh, you know, during the commercial break, the name of the company is SK Mining, SK Mining. And you were just asking me about Skina, which is a company I covered, and you said that they were coming up with great bear like drill intercepts. Uh, that doesn't surprise me. I did cover Skina; We made a nice profit on it, but Quentin Henning is involved with SK Mining, and SK Creek, that that deposit that Skina has is next door, and um, in fact, these types of deposits come in clusters. And uh, I think there's a very good chance that uh, that SK Mining could come up with something very significant. So that's the name of the company. I couldn't think of it, and then as as we we're ready to go live, I, it came to me. So, uh, and I just mentioned that. Well, anyway, uh, there's many issues, and and I mean this is what sort of The positive side of life in in these uh, four dimensions of time and space is that we do have the reality, a certain amount of reality has to come home, doesn't it? I mean, we can have all kinds of crazy stuff going on that seems to make no sense. But one thing that does make sense is gold holds its value and silver holds its value. And so, uh, you know, no matter what happens up there in your neck of the woods, now you and your wife, uh, you're up there in Washington State now. You did live in Idaho, but you moved up to Washington State. But I don't think you're anywhere near Seattle, are you?
5: Well, um, a, we're a ferry wa- ferry ride away from Seattle, which uh-huh. means it's you know that's far enough to feel safe. But I, I tell you what, though, I feel less safe than I did back when I was in Idaho. You know, with all the stuff that's going on, because um, it, it's a little too close to comfort for comfort yeah. with all the civil unrest, et cetera, et cetera.
2: Et cetera now, yeah. So, Seattle, and uh, how long is the ferry ride for you? Uh, it's Well, the, uh, it's a short drive,
5: then a ferry ride, then another short drive to get to Seattle. So, it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's maybe 50 miles, but it's maybe two hours. Yeah, okay, okay. So, it's right. far enough away to keep the
2: rioters away so, from the town we're in. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. You're at Seattle and Portland, of course, Portland has had, I think, almost three months now of every night riots and burnings and all kinds of crazy stuff going on. Uh, What do you make of this, John? I mean, how do you explain it? Does it make any sense? Well, first of all, it's heartbreaking because these
5: were great cities to hang out in. You know, Portland especially was just a really nice place to be. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, it was a a small city so you could get around very easily, but it had all the big city stuff in it that you, you know, you would visit a big city for. And now it's like a ghost town. Um, So to explain it... um, Maybe it's good to take a couple steps back because just as Donald Trump isn't the problem for the left that they they think he is, he's actually a symptom of the, the underlying problem. Oh, uh-huh. These riots, I think, are a symptom, also a symptom of the underlying problem. They are not the problem themselves. Mm-hmm. And the the problem is that the 99 percent in the US and also around the world, uh, were being harvested by a small aristocracy that figured out how to game the banking system back in the 1990s, and then used that power to take over the government basically. And, and so they, they have set up public policy to enrich themselves at the expense of everybody else. And uh, an example to, to make this understandable is interest rates. When the government cuts interest rates to unnaturally low levels, that bids up the, the value of financial assets like stocks and bonds which are mostly owned by rich people so the rich get richer meanwhile regular people who want to put away a little money and then generate a little income safely on it can't you
4: mm-hmm. know can't
5: generate any money on their savings and retirees who thought they were going to live on six percent interest in bank mm-hmm. CDs mm-hmm. find that um, they, they get no interest you know mm-hmm. and so their life gets much much harder while the rich uh, get much much easier and so people are all frustrated out there but we're filtering our frustration through different lenses based on our own experience and our own you know political beliefs and everything so the, mm-hmm. the left sees capitalism as the the big evil and the right sees the left as the uh, the the evil that has to be opposed, but really, uh, you know, George Soros and the Rothschilds and Jamie Dimon, they aren't part of the right-left spectrum. They're sitting above this,
4: mm-hmm. and
5: I think they might be hoping for um, street battles mm-hmm. between right-wing and left-wing peasants to turn into something serious enough so that they can declare martial law and then really ramp up the uh, the harvesting process, you know, because wow. under martial law, they could cut interest rates to 3% and get away with it. Yeah. which would totally enrich them at our expense. So anyhow, that's my theory of this case, you know uh-huh. and, and 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 I would it would be good if we would respond to that by seeing the humanity in the people who are disagreeing with whatever our position is on a lot of issues and, and understanding that we all have a common enemy, you know, cause that's the biggest fear I think of the, uh, of the 1% is that the peasants figure out that, uh, they don't need to be fighting each other. They all need to, you know, grab their pitchforks and head to the castle with their, their torches and, mm-hmm. and get back what's been stolen from them. Mm-hmm. But until that happens, and it's not happening now, this process is just going to continue. You know, they're going to cut interest rates, more deeply going forward and they're going to push up asset prices more aggressively if if they have to directly buy stocks they will do it now in mm-hmm. order to keep the stock market going up so mm-hmm. so this process is not over yeah. and the pain that regular people feel is going to intensify
2: before it's over so it's a, it's a very scary time yeah it is it is frightening and I wonder it seems to be more the young people and I my idea john is that young people a large number of them who have their university degrees now, and if you talk about harvesting, I have a sense that universities uh, were harvesting have been harvesting people as well. Everybody has to go to college and get a degree, whether they have any interest in intellectual pursuits or not, and you got to get that degree so that you can get a good job, but if the good jobs aren't out there, because of some of the reasons you just touched on, um, you know, you, you destroy capitalism by not allowing price discovery of capital, in my view. So, John, My thinking is that we haven't really had capitalism. If the left wants to look at capitalism and say, see there how it is? Uh, I guess, you know, I had a roommate who was on the left side of the political spectrum some time ago, and he used to argue, but Jay, that's what capitalism is. It's about trying to get government to change the laws in your favor so that you can harvest people. But no, I said no. Capitalism, pure capitalism, there's no government involved. It just allows people to trade with one another and get along with each other. But when you have you know governments ron paul used to make the the point all the time that whenever governments get involved they make enemies they generate enemies by passing laws because they pass a law that hurts one group and helps another any any comments on that
5: yeah well here's where we went wrong um we we had a you know fairly decently functioning mostly capitalist system um through the 1970s 80s and 90s but during the 1990s the um Central Bank, the Federal Reserve under Alan Greenspan, got the idea that it was okay to bail out the big banks every time they got into trouble. Yeah. So we had a series of mini-crises, you know, the long-term capital management um, implosion and the Asian contagion and Mexican default and Russian default, um, none of which would have been system, um, systemically dangerous to the whole system, but they, they were dangerous to the big banks who had lent a bunch of money to all of these things that that were going bankrupt. And the Fed stepped in and bailed them out every single time, mm-hmm. and then... In the 2000s, they, they went one step further and decided to push interest rates down to zero and uh, as a way of supporting the financial markets. Um, and then when the resulting housing bubble blew up, they bailed out the big banks who kind of engineered the housing bubble instead of letting them fail. And, and so capitalism requires failure mm-hmm. in order to function. Mm-hmm. You have to have somebody push the envelope because, you know, it's it's all about pushing the envelope, envelope and finding better ways of doing things that hadn't been known before. Uh, and that involves risk, you know. So some people who do that are going to fail. You have to let them fail to teach everybody else what not to do. Right. But we have done away with that. We, we've, um, in our system now, decided to uh, to never let the big guys fail and always structure the financial markets in a way that, saves them when they're wrong and enriches them when they're right. Mm-hmm. So basically what we have is socialism for the rich mm-hmm. and rugged individualism um, for the poor. <laughs> and, and it's exactly the opposite of the way it should be. You know, yeah. we, we, There should be a, a basic social safety net to round off the rough edges of the system mm-hmm. uh, and help people when, when they're in danger of falling through the cracks. But there should be absolute free markets in terms of failure at the top. So JP Morgan Chase invests in the wrong thing, they eat the losses and everybody else says, oh, okay, well, we won't do that, you know? And so the system gets healthier um, by seeing what doesn't work. Well, we've done away with that. So now you're you're right, you cannot call this capitalism anymore Mm -hmm. yet um, a lot of people still see it as capitalism and blame the concept of capitalism when things go wrong
2: yeah
5: that's that's what makes this so tricky right now because people are focusing on the wrong enemy in a lot of cases mm-hmm. without necessarily understanding why they're doing that you know yeah. they, they've just been told things that aren't true and they've accepted it um, which makes what is coming very scary because people are kind of you know, we're tribal now. We we don't trust anybody who disagrees yeah. with our basic view. They don't trust us, and it's very easy to dehumanize each other mm-hmm. and to be open to violence happening to the people who disagree with us. And that's just terrifying, it's, you know. I was,
2: it's very I, sad. Yeah, yeah. I have to think that um, that the problem goes back, or let's let's say when we went off the gold standard, that then started mm-hmm. to loosen things up, so that the problems you're talking about. Uh, you know, with Alan Greenspan bailing people out, I, I think you go back to 1987 and the stock market crash. I, I remember how there were no buyers for the most, the strongest companies in America. The Wall Street Journal w- wrote about it. 1987. I remember that crash it was extreme, and um, that's when the plunge protection team or the president's working group was created in order to, for the government to step in and try to make things to to, to keep things from falling completely out of place. So. I would actually go back to 1987 and that, that mindset, uh, but earlier than that, if we hadn't gone off the gold standard, the kind of money that was available uh, to, re- to redistribute wealth started to loosen up so that the government could spend more and do more things overseas uh, with its military-industrial complex, more socialism was available. As long as you didn't have to tax people, uh, the politicians could keep giving programs away and get reelected, right? right? So, yeah. Um, but John, I, I want to ask. You know, here we are. I'm in New York City, uh, in Queens, actually, and I don't get into Manhattan. I don't think I've been in once since since the COVID breakout. Um, try not to go in there uh, because. But I see pictures of you know New York City's most iconic stores along Fifth Avenue boarded up, and and the wealthy people are leaving. Uh, lots of really rich people just getting out of getting out of Dodge, getting out of New York City fast as they can. I. One real estate guy said he in, in one of these recent months he had more business in that month than he had in the entire year last year. I think it was up in Connecticut. You know, I mean, it, it's obvious that what's going to happen to these cities now? And, and are you seeing the same thing out in Seattle and uh, Portland and that sort of thing, too, I would imagine, right? The, the wealthy people wanting to get out, and will the corporations follow then?
5: Yeah, well, you you know, um, the hottest piece of real estate right now is a homestead. (laughs) In other words, a a little piece of acreage that you can grow food on. That's what everybody wants. They want to be out of big cities. And, okay, the scary part of this story is that a lot of big cities were functionally bankrupt before this whole pandemic slash social unrest thing started because they'd let their uh, infrastructure crumble and um, their um, public sector pensions run out of control you know they were totally unfunded pensions in a lot of these places like chicago and new york and a lot of california cities and you know just a lot of other cities so there was going to be a wave of municipal defaults Mm -hmm. regardless even if time stayed pretty good. You know, if we had 4% unemployment and uh, minimal inflation and a placid uh, geopolitical situation, these cities were still going to go bankrupt. Now this is accelerating the process. They are going to crash and burn. And and you know what they're doing. They're all hoping for a federal bailout. Mm -hmm. They're hoping Joe Biden gets elected and the Democrats bail out the big Democrat-run cities. Mm -hmm. Because that's their only hope. You know, there, there's no way for them to make it on their own because they've screwed up so completely. And, uh, and you know, that would be a shame because um, to, to go back to the capitalism story, you know, you need failure. You need people to screw up and and, and then crash and burn so the rest of us can learn that lesson. So it would actually be a good for the U.S. in the long run if a bunch of cities that screwed up their finances had to default. Mm-hmm. but And start again. Start yeah, over. Yeah. Start and everybody fresh. And, and then everybody else who was thinking of screwing up in that same way would say, Oh, I'm not going to do what Chicago did because I don't want to end up like those people. That's too uh, painful. Yeah. Yeah. And but but if if they bail those cities out, then that lesson will not be learned. The opposite lesson will be learned, which is that go ahead and run up as much debt as you want to and screw your pension plans up as much as you, you feel like it and you know, reap the benefits in the moment, because in the future the government will bail you out. Yeah. so then everybody will do it that's that's the definition of moral hazard right when you change mm-hmm. the rules in such a way that people start behaving um, in ways they would never normally behave but they mm-hmm. see these new set of rules and it encourages them to uh, to take these chances and, mm-hmm. and make
2: these mistakes when oh, well. they wouldn't do it otherwise politicians get involved in uh, in, in, uh, staff, uh, in staff in uh, staff directing their, their wishes or the people that are that are paying for their election campaigns, I suppose, or whatever the connections are to, uh, to pass laws that help them. It's uh, interfering with the natural flow of things that people would get along quite well, I think, otherwise, perhaps, um, many times. Uh, I just want to ask you then with respect to, um, so we have these cities that are in big trouble, and then if you, if, let's say a Biden victory and a Democrat and a, and a real socialist system in which they print money or tax people, certain groups of people, you know, you could see things moving in the other direction, where the the red states uh, are suddenly taxed very heavily, or or various, or just just taxing the middle class to pay for the cities, essentially, I mean, either through inflation or through direct taxation. And you have to think, John, that that would create an awful lot of anger uh, among the flyover people,
5: huh? Oh yeah, uh, if, if well-run cities in in places where you know the whole um, massive public sector union thing isn't isn't a thing yet, you know, yeah. if they are taxed aggressively in order to pay for unfunded pension liabilities in other places, yeah, they're going to be angry, <laughs> and uh, and we'll divide even more uh, severely along right left lines when you know that's that's it's not the right way to divide. Uh, we should should be able to see that uh, the the 1% is orchestrating all this, but I don't think we will be able to. I I think it's going to, I mean, if it works out that way, it could also work out that um, the, the federal government does not bail out all these cities and states and just lets them deal with their own problems their own selves, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and, um, that would be incredibly messy, but a lot healthier. And, and so there's no way to know how this plays out, but, uh, it's a minefield either way, because when, when you borrow huge amounts of money, you can't get out of it painlessly. You know, you have to go through the pain of, um, of bringing things back into balance one way or another. Um, and probably the way this is going to work is that we will at, at the, the federal government level, we will bail out everybody in sight by creating trillions and trillions of new dollars. And then that shifts the pressure away from the guys who are screwing up here in the moment Mm -hmm. towards the currency. In other Mm -hmm. words, it gets harder and harder to maintain the value of the dollar as you're creating a mountain of new dollars. And then instead of having a default crisis as all the bad debt comes due, um, you have a currency crisis in which the value of the currency starts to fall. And that's basically the gold story, right? Because yeah. um, historically, countries have done this many times in the past. And uh, in each and every time without exception, um, the people who owned real money weathered the storm pretty well as the, uh, the government-run money lost value dramatically. Mm-hmm. So hard assets... Mm -hmm. or where you want to be in a situation like this, where it really looks like the federal government is going to sacrifice the currency in order to protect a lot of the borrowers. Right. Oh, that's the way it looks. Yeah. Yeah. So you want to, you want to own gold and silver in physical form as your dollar substitutes. And then you want to buy a bunch of gold and silver mining stocks as ways of, um, Dramatically increasing your capital gold and silver will preserve your capital the mining stocks will increase your capital Um, And you know if history is any guide still which I I think it is and I hope it is um, That's been something that has worked many times in the past and will probably work again this time around
2: Well for sure and I, I kind of see mining stocks as as a um uh, as a way of sort of hedging against what the government might do as well. I mean, during the 1930s, gold was confiscated. Let's suggest that, or let's just say that if gold needs to be used and the government needs to have the gold to reset the currency, if they need to do that, they could, I mean, I don't see any, uh, I mean, I wouldn't have any any idea that this government wouldn't, or any government, future government, uh, wouldn't say, well, we need your gold, Taylor, hand it in, and you better do it. Uh, But the gold mines uh, kept running in the 30s, and Homestake, for example, did extremely well. John, with just a minute left here, I want to ask you, uh, do you see inflation rising? I said DiMartino Booth, Daniel DiMartino Booth, talked last week about 5.3% in food costs in the U.S., 13% in China. That's pretty dramatic. I mean, do you see, and these are, of course, food doesn't matter much to that top 1%, but to the people that are living paycheck to paycheck, if they're lucky enough to have one, that's a big deal. Food, rising oh, food yeah.
5: costs. Jay, I'm, good. I'm glad you remembered to bring that up because I'd forgotten about it because that's really the big story this week because um, Jerome Powell, the chair of the Fed, is going to make a speech in which he might outline a, uh, a new inflation imp- approach by the Fed in which they, uh, they average it out over time, which means low inflation in the past is going to be met with even higher inflation going forward
2: than their oh 2% my goodness. target. Oh, and yeah. uh, it, if they do that, that changes everything. Get your land and get your gold now, folks. I would say, it seems to me, uh, if that's what's coming, and I, I think you're right. I mean, I, I, can't see, I can't see the government doing something that's difficult. You know, I mean, they're, they're going to take the easiest way out. They always do, right? Uh, so that means print money, do whatever you need to do, and because people don't really put two uh, one plus one together, do they? They don't really understand. They don't think through it. Uh, and realize that what the that there are consequences in raising Everybody wants to have a free ride for now, and they don't seem to be too worried about the future.
5: Yeah, well, we haven't had to think that way for such a long time because no. we've had a printing press. <laughs> as, soon, as soon as that printing press doesn't work anymore, yeah. we have to rethink the idea of what is money and what is the role of government. You know, That's a debate that's coming up.
2: And, no, for uh, sure, for sure. Definitely is. John, we'll have to leave it go at that because we are out of time. Thank you so much for sharing your views on these very important topics, and uh, we'll look to do it again sometime in the near future, hopefully. Thanks, Jay. All righty, folks. Well, that is it for this week. Next week, Alistair McLeod is with me. Michael Oliver is back, and uh, Michael Hudson of Hannon Metals. it's a company that is in the process. Well, they've made a major discovery of silver and copper, a very major discovery in Peru. It's a world class discovery, I believe. And um, Michael, Oliver, or, uh, Michael Hudson will be with me. By the way, Quentin Henning's involved with that one as well. Okay, well, that's it for this week. Until next week, goodbye, and God's blessings to you.
1: Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Business Channel.